you want out, just say so and we can cut it out. Cool. Okay. So I am here with Bonnie Bliss. Bonnie, welcome to the podcast. It's a pleasure to have you here. Thanks for having me. I'll um I'll intro you to all the people who are listening for those who don't know. Bonnie is a somatic sexologist, embodiment teacher, and women's pelvic specialist. That's the tagline I got off your website. Is that still accurate enough to date? Yeah, close enough, I would say. Cool, cool. Um, Bonnie, and and for those of you who don't know, know Bonnie, Bonnie has run so many embodiment, and especially in sexuality and, and women's sexual education and wellness. She's run so many different workshops she's run live workshops she's run online courses she's done has a very deep and rich one-to-one practice and also founded and taught a yoni mapping modality um which a lot of people are now practicing as well so bunny how how long have you been running workshops and doing working in this space for maybe 12 years yeah 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 so this is, I see you as someone who really knows the ups and the downs of the industry and what it's like to really be a practitioner in this space and deliver high quality service. And also Bonnie is also really um, what I would call a really talented entrepreneur. You know, Bonnie's, you've, you've run big courses for lots of people. You've, you've broken through to levels of success in the industry that a lot of people really desire and, and haven't yet broken through to. So, I, and you're also, I see Bonnie is a phenomenal copywriter. Um, she knows how to market. She like, you're great at online marketing with, with email and organic social media. And yeah, I think people will have a lot to learn from you and really enjoy the wisdom that you have to share in the, in the ups and downs of your journey with marketing and business in this space. Mm. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny hearing you talk about me like that because I'm like, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of that is true, but I think at the moment I'm in this real lull with my work and so I'm like, oh, that does not feel like where I am right now, but I also know that this stuff goes in waves and it's, you know, it's all normal to have those kind of experiences. Totally, totally, yeah, that, I mean... And, and this is a space where we can be really honest about what it takes to be in this industry and the ups and downs of what's involved and the, um, the illusion that you just go up, 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 up. (laughs) Actually, it's like, oh, I'm winning. Oh, now I'm losing. I'm winning. Now I'm losing. Now I'm winning. I'm winning in certain ways, but not others. And I'm sacrificing these things that are really important to me. How do I find a balance with, you know, how to make it work in a sustainable way? Yes. Yeah. Well, let's, let's open that up. Like what are the, what are the things, the main things that need balancing in the life of an entrepreneur in the embodiment industry? (laughs) Well, you know, I think a lot of it is, is about maintaining your own, your connection to yourself. You know, it's entrepreneurship is hard. I mean, And there are certain personality types that maybe aren't really suited to it. When I first started, I used to say, everyone can have an online business, that anyone can do this. Like, it's so easy. And things were different back then as well. Like when I initially started, there was hardly anyone in this field. It was just like a handful of us online. And and then it kind of grew and now it's massive. So there is a lot more competition and and I think it does take more. Like people coming into the industry now will have a lot more challenges that I didn't have coming into it, you know, 
like 12 years ago. Um, Hmm. But really what has been important to me and something I've struggled with a lot is like really staying connected to my own practice, coming back to my body, coming back to um, my connection with myself and trying not to get lost in the shiny object syndrome, get lost in the all of the different advice from everyone about what I should do or how things should be, or, you know, this is what success is. Um, and just filtering that through, hang on a second, what feels right for me? What feels authentic to me? How can I, how can I be part of this? Cause I mean, the online marketing world, you know how it is. We've had lots of conversations about this. There's, hmm. there's a lot of challenges with ethics in that field because there are a bunch of people selling things that maybe they don't have the experience to sell, they don't have the embodied background to be able to deliver on what they're saying that they're offering, or people charging massive prices and not fully delivering on the thing. And that is something I've really struggled with. And I've really, um, I'm in this place at the moment, really looking at the ethics of it and looking at okay, what do I, what do I truly want to offer people? Can I absolutely help them with that thing? You know, what should I charge for it? What's a fair price? What are they actually going to receive? And, you know, does it feel true and right and real and supportive? And um, yeah, not trying to push people to pay really high prices for something that either isn't going to help them or is going to encourage them to go into debt when they're not in a financial position to do that or, you know, all of that Mm. thing. Yeah. Yeah. I see, I see those moral risks, moral risks of working in this industry. It's like, and, and, and we are, I see so many people funneled into coaching because the traditional jobs and like working in corporate like that it doesn't encourage a healthy lifestyle in so many different businesses. And also people just don't have the job security that they expected. And so they look for a job that gives them freedom of time and, and freedom of um, experience. They can work where they want to work and they can actually work on something that's purpose-driven. So I see so many practitioners in this industry, they have their own awakenings and their own discoveries in their own life. And they're like, Oh my God, this was so rich and so beautiful for me. I want to share this with the world. I can't do it in corporate. So I'm going to take the coaching route and start my own business. Um, And then when they get there, they're like, okay, how do I actually sell this? And then we're fed all of these paradigms about marketing and sales Mm. that um, are not necessarily, I mean, they're driven by commercial interest. It's a capitalist paradigm, right? Mm -hmm. So it's like, how do you get the sale? And then um, you you often find yourself being pulled into practices that aren't really morally, there's a moral load and a moral risk. It's Mm. like, how do I stay in integrity whilst getting the sale? Um, And yeah, there's there's a lot of challenges and, um, you know, a lot of the marketing tactics that we are encouraged to use, old school marketing, urgency and scarcity, you know, Mm, get get someone in this really... um, like dysregulated state where it's Mm. like oh my god i have to get this right and they and you emphasize the problem and the pain that they're experiencing Mm. and and there's only three tickets left and this is the last time and right it's like by the thing all of your trauma and it's going to magically make all of your shame go away and you know do all of these things that it's going to transform your life and it's like sure it might but will it definitely 
And can yeah. I use those as selling points, you know? And is that ethical? Yeah. Yeah. Is it ethical? And and I think one of the fallacies that we are taught is that there's a silver bullet. Cause it's so it's it's like, here's all how hard it is to do all the other things. You could go see a therapist and spend thousands of dollars or read these books and not get an embodied experience. They're all hard, but here's the easy way. Mm-mm. You pay $9.99, yeah. you show up to my workshop retreat mm-hmm. and your life will be better forever. Like that, mm-hmm. that's compelling on a deep psychological level, but is it true? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah. So what, how do you navigate that? What, what's, what insights have you found that have been helpful for you in, in navigating that? that tension between selling and staying in integrity? I mean, I've definitely, over the years that I've been doing this work, I've definitely had phases with my marketing that looking back now, I can feel like I wouldn't do things like that. I wouldn't, I don't necessarily feel like any of it was like really poor practice, but it's very different to what I would do now. And but actually where I'm at right now is I feel like I'm almost like a little oversensitive, you know, about a year ago, as you know, I let go of my, the main program I was offering for about three years. It was called Yoni club. And it was a three month program for women in women's sexual wellness. And in that three year period, we had over 2000 students and it was an incredible journey and we have hundreds of amazing testimonials. And, and I think that's something that really helped me is, is receiving these testimonials, you know, actively asking people for them and receiving them for retreats, for workshops, for short programs, for long programs, but just receiving people's words, talking about how my work had impacted them and then having their permission to share that Uh, on my website or in my advertising and then it wasn't there was also me saying here's what I think you could receive from this or here's why this is important but then the words of other people saying I did this here's what I received this is what this gave me and even just hearing from people like I had a a closing session with a client who I'd worked with for nine months yesterday and some of the stuff that she shared in that closing session about what she'd received it was just like holy shit okay this is really incredible and really powerful and it helps me to receive those words and hear those words and to Mm. know how my work has impacted someone and then to be able to you know with permission share those onwards I think that Um, has really helped me and has really uh, impacted, um, you know, how people might respond to my work because they can go to my website, for example, and see like 150 testimonials, you know. So it feels like, okay, these are real people. A lot of them have photos, some of them have videos, you know, that that feels um, really valuable. And, And that took me a while to come to. Like it used to just be me saying, here is this thing, here's what I think you'll receive. But having adding in those testimonials, which I think we started to do um, a couple of years ago, it it really helped me to feel more confident in what I'm offering. And uh, I think it does make a big difference to how it's perceived online as well. Mm. Mm. Yeah. To, to paint a bit of color on this, Bonnie and I were like building, we were building your website and, and, and crafting your sales copy and the structure of it all. And, and social media plans and all these sorts of things, which by the way, it was such a pleasure to work with you. 
um, if anyone gets the honor of working with Bonnie, I like, it's going to be amazing for you. Um, we had a great time working together. I loved working with you. Yeah. We had some wild adventures. <laughs> yeah. Well, it was right at the start of lockdown. Right. And, right. and we were, we were like, we, you had this product The are we allowed to name it? Mm-hmm. Yep. We had the, the Yoni club product and it was like, we could see, okay, this has a lot of potential to scale and let's, let's see how far we could take it. Um, but back to the testimonials, I see how, you know, those testimonials, you've got phenomenal testimonials, like the people, what they've said about you and the work and the, and the offering and the Yoni club, they're just so like, it's very clear that what you're offering was delivering a huge amount of value, huge amount of value, probably too much value. If anything, it was like, there was so many features. It was so rich and so amazing. Uh, yeah, I just, I just, I just want to honor you for the, the amazing product that you created. And when I work with clients now, I, I like, I, I see what you had created as a reference point for what a really phenomenal offering is. Mm. Yeah. It's so interesting hearing that. Cause I know that, that it was a great thing. And I know that thousands of people did it and loved it, but I also felt it got to a point after doing it for three years as my main thing, especially, you know, when the lockdowns first hit like early 2020, I let go of all of my retreats and workshops and sessions and body work, which I was doing at that time. I was still doing yoni mapping therapy and I put all of my energy into the online work. And that's when you and I started working together. And Mm. it was amazing for a while, but I mean, I also hit burnout point a couple of times with the, with the launch model that I was using, but also it got to the point where I felt like I was being a full-time marketer because the model of the program, it wasn't delivered live. It was a, you pay for it. And then you have access to the online portal with all of the content. And there are maybe some live elements like a Q and a session or a group sharing call or something. But most of that was like, you know, 5% of my time was delivering the content and relate connecting with the people in the group. Most of it was them going through the content in their own time. And therefore that left me in this place of just being almost a full-time internet marketer, which I was very unprepared for. And also in some ways disconnected me from the work itself. Yes. And over time, I updated Yoni Club and I, I brought in a trauma specialist and, and brought in all of these somatic experiencing elements to make it more trauma-informed because obviously in the sexuality field, so many people have sexual trauma and need nervous system tools for that. Um, I ended up bringing in a whole bunch of guest teachers on all these different topics. But then I got to a point where it was like, you know what, I'm actually, I need to let go of this program completely and build something different. You know, it felt like it was, even though I still stand by it and I, I think it's solid work, it wasn't current for me anymore. And I had mm-hmm. to completely build something different. And that's what I've been doing the last few months. And I've, um, I'm just, you know, shortly about to open a new program called the School mm-hmm. of Embodied Pleasure, which is replacing Yoni Club. And it's very, very different structurally and you know, with a lot of different elements that I had always wanted to include in my work, but just didn't really focus on because everything ended up being about the marketing for a couple of years. Mm, mm. Yeah, there's some there's some rich stuff to talk about here in terms of the challenges of doing this work. But 
before we dive in, do you want to share a little bit about what you're excited about with your new offering or do you want to keep it secret? Where, where are you at with the, the School of Embodied Pleasure? Uh, I'm happy to share a little about it. Yeah, so it is still essentially an offering for women or people with vaginas and it's um, Yoni Club. My previous program was very genital focused, you know, that the essence of it was the internal self Yoni mapping, like using a wand to map and explore your internal spaces and to um, awaken more pleasure and release tension and feel more sensitivity and that kind of thing, which I still think is really important and helpful. But with the School of Embodied Pleasure, I wanted to really zoom out a lot and to look at um, things like body confidence, for example, right? Because I speak to so many women who hate their bodies or are constantly judging or shaming their bodies or feeling a lot of um, conditioning about what we're meant to look like. And then that means that when they're in intimacy with a partner, they are really struggling to feel safe or feel connected or relax into pleasure because they're worried about what they look like or they're shaming their body. I wanted to look at um, self-care stuff as well, because a lot of people come to my work really wanting to go into the sexuality things, like have better orgasms and have more fulfilling sex, but they don't have the really foundational self-care things in place. And so therefore that deeper sexuality stuff is just not something that they can really sustain, you know, without a deeper foundation with self-care. So the School of Embodied Pleasure is instead of it being a linear program where you go through each one module by module, it's a larger kind of library learning portal with a bunch of different modules and different directions. It's a choose your own adventure format, essentially. So yeah. it might be like, okay, I'm actually really struggling with body confidence or I want to feel more pleasure in my life, but I'm not ready to let like, touch my genitals yet. <laughs> you know, there's a module for that yeah. or um, I'm really actually struggling with like basic self-care and I'm in survival mode. There's a module for that. Or I really want to go deeper with my partner. There's a module um, in partnered intimacy that you do with a partner. So that was also something that I got asked for a lot. And that's something that wasn't in my work previously. I used to teach couples retreats. But this was really cool to just create a module and, and which is essentially now its own little program for couples to do together and to be able to bring this work into their relationships rather than just have it being something that they do on their own. So, yeah, that's a little bit about what I've been working on and I'm, I'm about to release it and it feels really exciting to just, yeah, have that fresh energy and to have something that feels more current for me. Yeah, beautiful beautiful Bonnie it's I can see how you like you are you've gone on the journey and you've taken people on the journey from sexuality from like oh I want to have an orgasm like these shiny object goals down to like what it really takes to have a deep enduring sense of fulfillment in your connections and within yourself mm, yeah yeah exactly yeah because that's the thing, like, it's not all about orgasm. People think it's about orgasm, but then ultimately it's like, if you want to really deeply connect with pleasure or have, have like wildly fulfilling orgasms, it's not about genital stimulation, you know? Yeah. And that's confronting for people because they're like, but how do I use the thing to make it happen? And it's like, no, 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 we got to like step right back and look at like pleasure in your life and how you connect with your body and how you take care of yourself and how you create intimacy with someone else and you know, all of these other things. Yeah. Yeah. I can see, you know, working with you, I've seen how um, 
like a, a huge part of what we're offering people is actually it's not just um for example orgasms or self-love and relationship to pleasure it's actually helping them go on the journey of discovering that that these pathways are much deeper than they thought and communicating it to them in a way where they don't get freaked out right so it's like you know okay i i can sell an orgasm thing and i'll get lots of sales i can sell a self-love thing and maybe that's less attractive to people because they don't see the, the benefits and then we have to slow right down and it's that art of bringing them into the depth mm. slowly and slowly and that that seems to be this meta skill that that people who really uh, leave a mark on this industry and do well commercially that they've really mastered. Right, right, and I think that speaks to the larger you know culture that we live in, which has a lot yes. of goal orientation, right? So people are like, people want the quick fix. They're like, I've got this problem. I don't feel like sex. I've got no libido. I don't have orgasms. How do I fix it? You know, and and I think what a lot of our industry and the nature of embodiment, it's not a problem to be fixed, right? Embodiment is not a thing. You tick off a list. You don't go, right, I'm embodied now, like done. Yeah, you know, yeah. it's not a thing that you tick off a list. It's a relationship to yourself that is continually evolving that you are ever exploring and discovering and that has infinite potential to deepen and for a lot of people they can kind of hear that and be like what you're telling me it's some ridiculous infinite thing I have to do <laughs> how do I get it done yeah. but it's it's more like when we see these things as a relationship to discover and deepen into then we can let go of the idea that we we are problems that need to be fixed. <laughs> and then we can go, ah, oh, maybe I'm having challenges in my relationship with pleasure or intimacy because it's something that I haven't prioritized or I haven't learned about or I haven't um, you know, given energy in my life. How can I spend some time focusing on that and exploring that and giving that energy so that I can go deeper with it? You know, that's that feels much more empowering than. I've got this issue. I've got to pay someone to fix it for me, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. It's like mm, the, the business. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. Well put. I don't even have, if I said any more on it, I'd probably just be repeating what you've already said. So <laughs> yeah. well put, well you put. Know all this stuff. And, and I think that the challenge is for, for an embodiment practitioner is like, we have this deeper awareness that people don't yet have. We understand that, that, you know, the goal orientation is less effective than enjoying the process and, and, and not being so fixated on getting it right and being in the journey and enjoying the mystery, but it's very hard to sell. Right. Very hard. It's, it's nebulous. It's confusing. And when, when, yeah, you're not... it's intangible. Right. And, it's, and, it's... and I want to know, I'm going to do this thing and I'm going to get this result and I want certainty right. and I'm going to pay for that certainty because right. it alleviates my anxiety. So how do you, how do you meet that challenge? You know, I, I, I I'll, I'll share some ideas. I think, I think partly it's about, um, stepping them into the process with increasing levels of commitment. It's like you give them a little piece that they can have a lot of certainty around, like a, an online a webinar or a, or a PDF or a meditation, and you can have reasonable certainty that they're going to get a result. And then you educate them during that thing. And it's like, okay, if you got that little result, but if you want the real stuff, 
this is what's next. And you slowly step them in program through program, bigger and bigger experiences. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. I think there are some great um, educators these days on, especially on Instagram, which I'm on quite a bit, um, where they are, you know, educating people about the challenges or about the in marketing speak problem. And this doesn't need to be a goal orientated problem solution, but helping people become aware that, uh, okay, collectively we are burnt out and stressed and exhausted and disconnected Mm. from our bodies. And not everyone relates to that, but I would say most people these days, um, and I would relate to that, you know, there's, it's been a wild time to be a human and a lot of people are struggling with their connection with themselves and just, you know, really um, speaking honestly about that and not encouraging people to override or avoid or pretend it's not happening or just like hustle and grind and push forward but to really pause and and ask them like hey how are you feeling like are you feeling connected to pleasure right now like how is how are you feeling in intimacy are you in a relationship but just like avoiding connecting with your partner because you're just waiting for some magical time to open up in the future when things feel less overwhelming like Mm. you know like let's become aware of where we are And this is something, I mean, this is something I talk about a lot in my marketing and generally in my posts, I try to talk about this, just being where we are, because if we're not where we are, we can't move forward. We can't shift anything. We can't change anything. We can't take action to choose a different path because we're in denial or avoidance of where we are. And this Mm. comes back to um, a principle from Gestalt Psychotherapy, which I did some training in, which is called the paradoxical theory of change. And it's a, when I allow myself to fully be where I am. And this is, you know, you you um, put this beautiful post up today, yesterday about that, like just fully being where you are and being like, I'm a flawed human. Like I'm struggling with these things in my life. Like these are my, these are my issues. This is what's going on for me. Like this feels really hard. This is this thing, which feels like it should be easy is really difficult right now. <laughs> And, and then just the spaciousness of letting yourself be in that and be like, wow, mm-hmm. yeah, like this is really sticky or heavy or hard or challenging or uncomfortable. <laughs> and yeah. then within that spaciousness, there's the like, oh, okay, so now what, <laughs> you know, what am I yeah. choosing? How do I shift that? What am I, what, what, what tiny step can I take to move forward in some way, you know, and that might be, like you said, doing a little webinar or a low cost training or a something from someone who's going to help you to understand more about it. But then a lot of the time, like really shifting or transforming these things does take longer and does involve like a deeper immersive experience, whether that's one-on-one or in a group program or, you know, something. Uh, and that that is, yeah, I think it does need to be gradual. Like you said, it's gradually stepping people in testimonials are helpful speaking emotively I find really helpful like I've found with Mm. my work I need to not be too dry and not not have that really uh outcome focused you know because I can't ultimately promise outcomes you know but I can talk Mm -hmm. about what this work has given me I can talk about what it's given people I've worked with and I can speak about um you know, the, the deeper longing to connect with our pleasure, the deeper yearning yeah. to feel alive or to feel connected or to, to not go through life feeling like a numbed out, spaced out zombie, you know? Mm. 
and and a lot of people relate to that and there is that like yeah I want to feel less overwhelmed I want to feel more alive and and connected to pleasure in my life you know I want to feel more creatively inspired and and of course sexuality is related to a lot of that you know when we feel really sexually fulfilled and integrated we have more capacity for our work we have more energy we are more inspired we are you know more present in our bodies it's all connected mm. yeah well put well put yeah i totally agree and I, and i'm and i'm i'm going to kind of divert to a different slightly different angle and and acknowledge the irony of it seems like sometimes the more people we help become embodied the less time we have to be embodied and there's this real tension between giving to our clients and building our businesses and giving to ourselves and nurturing ourselves and and this is what creates that burnout cycle mm-hmm. so I'd, I'd love to hear like what what have your experiences been being an entrepreneur in this space with these technologies and this social media and all of that, what's that experience been like for you? What have the challenges been and what have you found has been helpful for you? Yeah. So I have really, really struggled with it straight up. Like it's not been easy for me. I know some people are really good at super solid self-care and like hardcore embodiment practice every day and you know really limiting their screen time and that kind of thing and I know that you and I have had many conversations about this and I I really respect how how disciplined you are able to be with a lot of your structure and practices and you know my I've felt feel like I've been a lot more chaotic (laughs) with things generally and that's part of my feminine nature but also it's part of um, you know, like I have quite a big history of trauma. I had a fairly challenging childhood. I um, am still coming to terms with the fact that I spent like quite a lot of time in uh, an organization that can only be described as a cult uh, from my late 20s to early 30s. You know, like there's there's definitely like there's some sexual trauma stuff I'm still unraveling and that has all of that has impacted my nervous system and it's very easy for me like to become dysregulated. It's very easy for me to just like go down an Instagram rabbit hole or just like spend hours on screens or to, to, to be online, but to not really be doing anything, you know, like all of these mm. are the areas that I struggle with. And this is part of why I teach this work is because it has been so important for me, like, because I need it, you know, Mm -hmm, because mm -hmm. I cannot function without being able to orient to my body and orient to pleasure. Um, So a lot of it for me, uh, it's like, I mean, there's the really basic level, right. Which is just, and I forget this sometimes, but it's just like eat regularly, (laughs) like, like the, Mm -hmm, like people mm -hmm. talk about, self-care and embodiment and all the like fluffy spiritual stuff and all the like rituals you can do and all the complicated things and I think those are really important but sometimes we really just need to focus on the foundational stuff like sleeping well like sleep hygiene getting to bed Mm. early enough having enough sleep eating food that feels nourishing for our bodies eating at regular times like I was filming a couple of days ago and I um I was just in the zone of the filming and everything was going well, but I just got to a point where it was 3 p.m. and I hadn't eaten since like nine. 
and I was really hungry and I just hit a massive wall and I just became like completely zoned out and I couldn't, I tried to, I ate lunch and then I tried to like keep going and film another couple of videos. And I looked at them and I was like, I can't even use them. (laughs) Like I was just smashed, you know, like I was completely out of myself. And that was literally because I didn't stop and eat, you know? Yeah. So I think like this really basic stuff, I think it's not spoken about enough with embodiment. And especially when it comes to people with dysregulated nervous systems, which is most of us these days, um, that stuff is super important. But then other stuff that's been important for me has been um, spending time in nature. I recently went to WA for a couple of weeks and spent um, some solid time like in with waterfalls and gorges and, you know, adventuring in these wild lands, which was really um, important for me to like take breaks to do things like that. Yeah. But obviously, um, you know, living in Melbourne, there's still lots of places I can go out for the day or go for a walk along the creek and, you know, connecting with nature has been really, really important for me. And then it's those little tiny things. I think what what works for me more than anything else, and this is a big part of what I teach, is like orienting to pleasure throughout my day. And that could be the pleasure of tasting my lunch or the pleasure of just like watching the the breeze and the trees outside my office or um, the pleasure of just putting my hands on my body and wiggling a little bit or you know just like having a little dance break or um, yeah moving touching breathing feeling sensing Uh, I often have things in my office like with a lot of plants around me and I'll often have things like sensory things I can touch or I'll make sure I'm wearing fabrics that feel nice on my skin and Mm -hmm you know, that orienting to those little pleasures so that even if I have a big day online, I'm not just out of my body the whole time. You know, I can take these little micro moments of reorienting and reconnecting to a sense of pleasure or aliveness rather than just pushing through and then being able to like expecting myself to be able to have great sex with my partner that night, you know, (laughs) after being completely disconnected all day. Like, yeah. I, I, I sense it's about like having an awareness of what state your nervous system is actually in, in any moment, and then recognizing where your limits are and, and keeping in a nourished state. <clears throat> and, and it's like, if we're just constantly on the screen, outputting, putting our attention out onto the screen for hours and hours and hours, we're not in touch with how we're thinking and feeling, and we can become depleted without being even aware of it. And then once we're depleted we and, and we're not aware of our internal state, we can start finding problems in the external environment and then needing to fix all the external problems, which means we get caught in this um, negative loop. It's like, oh, when I do that job, I'll feel okay. And then the job gets done and you're more depleted. And it's like, okay, I'm still not okay. I must need to do that job. And you're just checking off the to-do list endlessly, but looking for um, soothing in the wrong channels. And it it can be really, that's what burnout essentially, that's I think the right. mechanism for burnout. And what, what I've found really helpful is like seeing business and online marketing and entrepreneurialism as it's like playing soccer. You're on the field, you're trying to kick goals. It's a game. You know, it's a game initially. 
initially you know that it's a game and like if you needed to you could get a full-time job or rely on some other kind of income source and it's not it's not life or death but with this soccer game because of how our society is designed it's so capitalistic our self-worth is is like being assessed on social media there's all these psychological pressures that make the game addictive and make us forget that we're playing a game and and that we chose to play it for a good reason it's like the longer you play the game the more you forget that it's a game and you think that there's nothing outside of the soccer field and you just have to keep kicking goals forever that's that like business addiction cycle right yeah but but if you can go on the fence if you can get off the game and sit on the bench and just take a breather Mm. and be like what am I actually doing here? Did I choose business to be stressed out of my mind or did I choose it to have a rewarding, fulfilling, satisfying life? Right. Is this the game I want to be playing? Am I actually enjoying this? Do I need a little bit of a rest? Do I need an orange slice or something right. to get back alive? Yeah. And it's those times where I where I disconnect from work and 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 step out of the matrix of the mission and and just rest and simply be or be in presence or be with with momentary beauty or have a dance and just enjoy the moment and drop the goals that's when i can step into the game and feel brought, vibrant and alive mm. so so when i'm getting too stressed out or i'm getting dysregulated i'm like okay how long have i been playing the game for do i still remember that it's a game does my body remember that it's a game? <laughs> my body is freaking the fuck out and thinks right. I have to do these 50 things, which I don't really have to do. Okay, I think I need to actually step off the field, maybe skip a game, maybe take a day off mm-hmm. and teach my body and show my body that the war is over, that the environment is beautiful, that I am safe mm. and let those more enduring, deeper emotional currents grow within me so that when I go out onto the field, I'm, I'm alive. Mm, yeah. I love what you said about the, just the reminder that it's not life or death that like, okay, if you need to, you can get another job. I mean, you know, it, I think it depends. Right. But in Australia we have yeah. like, there's a lot, there's a lot of jobs available. Like there's a, there's people looking for all kinds of workers in all kinds of industries. And I know that with my background, I could easily get another job. But I have oh, definitely yeah. found myself in that, like, oh my God, I'm going to be out on the street if this doesn't work. Yeah. And if I take a break, if I'm off for long enough, and if I don't, if the new thing doesn't go that well initially, like, I'm going to be on the streets, you know, like, it's definitely been like a catastrophizing yeah. thought pattern that I've had. And it is a good reminder to be like, I could do other work if I needed to. And, uh, and it hasn't been necessary in 12 years, and it's probably yeah. not going to be necessary. But, you know, it, it can feel destabilizing because yeah. as an entrepreneur, it's you don't have the luxury of knowing that every Thursday you're going to have X amount of money put into your account by your employer, you know? Yes. And within that, you, there's so much freedom you have and, you know, you don't have as much structure with your time and you, you can take days off more easily and all of that. You know, there's a lot more freedom and creative freedom than people, mm. most people on a salary. But um, it can also feel very destabilizing and very scary for the nervous system to not have that, you know, foundation. Yeah, yeah, totally. And 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 i think that the key question that that's really powerful to ask is like 
how much uncertainty can I actually tolerate? Like how much, like if I take on this pro, if I run this program or do this launch, what is the psychological stress that I'm going to experience? And is this in my zone of tolerance? Is this going to grow me or is it going to be too much? And it, and it ties back to this statement that not everyone is right for entrepreneurialism. Right. You know, right. I'm, I'm a really firm believer. If you've got no income, you shouldn't start a passion business. Mm-mm. You you should be getting your, your living expenses covered on a job on a part-time job. And then mm-hmm. once you've got that level of financial safety, dive into your business, do it at part-time and then grow it mm-hmm. until you don't need to work part-time anymore. If that's right. what you choose, right. but to grow a passion business where you're not competent, when you don't have income coming in is so dysregulating to the nervous system, it's not worth the challenge. And I see people looping in that space for years because Mm. they're so stressed out. It's hard to make smart business decisions. And then I see people working part-time and growing businesses on the side. They actually get there a lot quicker because they're relaxed and they're able to focus. So Right. And there's not that pressure. See, this reminds me of what um, Elizabeth Gilbert says in her book, Big Magic, about like it's something like I'm paraphrasing here, but it's like the the worst thing you can do for your art is to expect it to pay the bills. You know, like as an artist, people like I want to be a writer, I want to be a painter, I want to whatever. And that's going to be my main thing. And I'm not going to do anything else. And it's like, she said that she worked, you know, all kinds of random hospo jobs and things for years until things really took off with her writing career. And and then that gave the creativity, the spaciousness to thrive. And what you're saying here is it's the same thing with business. You know, your business is a creative child in a way, you know, it is, it is creative and, and it needs to have that spaciousness. And yeah. when we have the pressure on it to provide for all of our survival needs, <laughs> like that's too much. Yeah. In the early days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. So, so important. And it, and it's tricky to advocate for that in this entrepreneurial industry because the products depend or like the people who are marketing to entrepreneurs need them to stay as entrepreneurs mm. to keep buying their products. Right, so right. that's one of those times where the, yeah, it's tricky, mm-hmm. but let's, let's come back to imbo- the embodiment industry. Mm-hmm. And like, I've seen how you've in the Yoni club, you had a product around sexuality and you actually brought us, I think, uh, Gigi is a somatic experience practitioner. You brought an, an SE practitioner into the program to make sure that it was actually genuinely trauma informed. And I saw that as an amazing step in the right direction that I haven't seen in other sexuality programs. And it and it, it's like we know that our work needs to be trauma informed. We don't really know how to do it. Love to hear your views on like trauma informed practice. You know what's possible, what's important. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, so it's a big topic. Like trauma, the the whole concept of being trauma informed, it's thrown around a lot these days. And there are a lot of people who say that their work is trauma informed or who identify as being trauma-informed, who have maybe not done any training or, you know, deeper exploration of trauma or who um, 
yeah, don't have that background, you know, and, and because I'm not a trauma specialist, like I had um, enrolled in the somatic experiencing trauma therapy training and I ended up pulling out. I was supposed to start this year and I pulled out because I had too many other trainings I was doing and I just hit a point where I was like, okay, I'm going to let go of that for now, but I still do hope to go back to it next year and eventually qualify as a trauma therapist. But um, I decided to bring in Gigi, who is a friend of mine, who's a somatic experiencing trauma therapist uh, into my work too, because that modality, somatic experiencing, it's a modality that it comes from Dr. Peter Levine. Uh, it's, it's offered all over the world. There are thousands of practitioners. It's a three-year trauma training. So it's not just a little short course. It's not like I did a one-day facilitation with trauma awareness being and now I call myself trauma informed it's like a full multi-year deep dive into the nervous system and trauma and I wanted someone with that specific background to support my work and uh, throughout that program she did like regular Q&As people would ask her about things that were coming up and you know that was really really helpful and I think people got a lot out of it and she's also supporting my new program the School of Embodied Pleasure there's like a separate module for nervous system support. So if at any point people get to, they're exploring the other stuff and they hit a wall or they feel dysregulated or they, you know, need some grounding or stabilizing, they have those tools and things to draw on. And the idea is that those tools are available for them to then bring into their uh, intimate life with a partner or to be able to use when they are self-pleasuring and they have some big heavy emotional response or some shame come up or that kind of thing. But trauma-informed practice as someone offering programs, it's a sticky thing and it, I think it is complicated to unravel and, and I, yeah, because it's just a term and a lot of people are using it these days. And there are lots of different trainings we can do, right? Like I've done some short trainings related to trauma and I've done a lot of training with people who have a trauma background. And I've also worked with women for a long period, women who have experienced some form of trauma. So I have a level of emotional sensitivity to that kind of thing. But ultimately when the program is a group program, when it's a choose your own adventure or you're going through a module system, I mean, people can have big stuff come up and they they won't get the one-on-one -on -one support that they might need. And this is where I think it is really yeah. important for people to then, um, if they need it or if they feel it would be helpful to seek out that one-on-one -on -one, um, support from someone who is a trained trauma specialist. Um, yeah. And I, this is also a gray area because in the, what I what I struggle with a little and something I'm unraveling recently is this intersection of like the sexuality field, the embodiment field and the spirituality field. Mm. And what you see is a lot of people. And, and the healing and therapy field as well. Yeah, and the healing and therapy. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so there's quite strong overlaps in a lot of those areas. And there are also people like I've seen so many people who or maybe in a Facebook group where someone's like, I've got this trauma and I'm really struggling with this. And then people coming in being like, well, I'm an Akashic Records healer and I'm a trauma, <laughs> as a trauma specialist yeah. in that, you know? And I'm like, whoa, like you can't, <laughs> like we have to be really careful with the advice that we're yeah. giving people. And, 
you know, having some background in like Reiki is not, does not mean that you can support someone who is in a big nervous system dysregulation or is really needing a like actual trauma therapy. Yeah. So I'm a big advocate for therapy. I've been in therapy myself for years. I see a somatic experiencing therapist every couple of weeks, who's also a psychologist and a meditation teacher and other things, which is super convenient. Um, but, you know, that helps me for even when I don't have big stuff going on, it helps me to have someone in my life who I can connect with regularly, who's just there to support me. And I'm aware that that's a privilege and not everyone, you know, has yeah. the finances to be able to devote to that. But I also know a lot of people could and would really benefit from it and choose not to. And that can make things crunchier or trickier when they're then trying to do an online group program that might cost, you know, $500 or $1,000. And then uh, having big stuff come up or really um, moving through like very challenging emotions or having big responses to practices in such a way that they actually need one-on-one -on -one support. And the program can't offer it because that's not what the program is, you know? So yeah, yeah it's it's a really interesting thing. And, and now... I mean, there are more and more trainings for trauma-informed facilitation. There are more and more short courses around this stuff, which I think is really helpful. Hmm. And there are more people talking about like trauma-informed approaches, not just from the perspective of like having a trauma specialist in your program, but from the perspective of how you run your business, you know? Are you really pushing the scarcity? Are you say, mm. promising something you can't deliver? Because that's not actually trauma-informed. Are you, um, you know, not open to receive feedback from people who have had problems with the way that you work? Because that's not trauma-informed, you know? All mm. of that, what are your structures and systems for feedback? How do you, how do you create community in, spa in your spaces? How do you not shame people? How do you make it inclusive for people of diverse backgrounds, you know? there's a, a lot and I think we're really just at the start of what that looks like because as you know with the embodiment and sexuality field it's not regulated and so it is yeah. a bit like the wild west anyone can do anything which in some ways is great and in other ways is really a problem you know yeah yeah I, I anticipate that trauma-informed practice is going to be more and more a thing in our fields it's just going to grow and people will have an expectation of a certain standard of, of as trauma education goes into the public, like people are just going to expect that there are tighter policies and practices and approaches in these very activating containers. Mm. And, it, and it can be a bit intimidating for someone who's just starting out in the industry, not knowing what, what does it even mean? What do I have to do? Should I just mm. not run anything? I'm mm. afraid of taking risks, but right. this work is really important. And and, you know, people who have transformative practices like embodiment and breath work and sexuality, there might be three people in the room that have an adverse response and 30 people whose lives are changed for the better forever. So I still think it's really important for people to go out on the fringes and do these weird practices and bring people in. But I think if you're going to do it, there's a few basic things that are really important to do to keep people safe. Mm. And the first is just um, being careful who you let into your programs, mm -hmm. like checking, does this, 
does this person, is this person likely to have a psychotic breakdown? Right. And if not, then they probably shouldn't participate having an actual selection criteria. And, and, and the second thing is knowing the limits of your practice. Mm. Like what are the signs that tell you when you need to refer someone onwards to someone else? Mm. And who is that person? Do they need mm. to work with a psychologist? Are they already working with a psychologist? Oh, oh. And to have these things in place, just like plans for when things happen so that when you run your practice, you can know that, that you've got, you've got your bases covered. Mm. Um, and the last thing to really understand is that um, trauma-informed is not just about having a theoretical education, theoretical education. Like it's not enough to have read a book mm. on trauma-informed theory. It like you need to have be able to, you need to have undergone a certain amount of experience in your own body mm. of a, a very f familiarity with your nervous system. Mm. understanding what it's like to be in a trauma response or dysregulated, knowing what it's like to move through a freeze or mm. a dissociation in your own body to be able to really guide someone else through it. So and to recognize that in other people, right? Exactly. To yeah. recognize when it's happening. So, mm. um, you know, you shouldn't feel pressured to like be the trauma informed person because that that's that can take decades or, or like it, it can be a deep process so you know i i encourage people to actually bring someone in who's who has deep embodied experience and can really show up when shit hits the fan mm. um rather than trying to be everything yourself and, and cut corners right right and you know this is i mean especially more significant when you're running things in person right like retreats or live yeah. workshops like this is less of a factor for me with a lot of the online stuff because it's like you know people are doing it at their own pace and they hit a wall they'll either take a break or they'll get support or they'll ask a question or they'll go get therapy or they'll do what they do you know but it's not they're not like in a day's workshop that they've paid for to be there that whole day and there's something unfolding that they're triggered by you know they can always yeah. take a break whereas in person it's very different and with sexuality stuff in person, that's a whole other level. And I've had a lot of really challenging experiences at sexuality workshops and play parties and things where, um, you know, I was really triggered or I felt really unsafe or the space wasn't held in such a way that felt actually supportive for the people there. And, you know, it, it is, yeah. a, it's a whole thing that is, it's, and it's, you know, coming, there's a lot of it coming to a head in the industry with different schools and things and, it's um yeah I think it, it's it's something that a lot of people are kind of tussling with at the moment and it's mm. where many of us are just very deep in the process with it <laughs> just like okay what does this actually mean for my work and collectively I can see a market for like a GG type person who can like dip into different people's containers and mm. support them right that would yeah. be cool yeah cool well let's um let's let's do another turn in another direction is it how how are you doing how are you feeling in this moment yeah i'm good oh this is it's fun to talk about this stuff it's like yeah i mean because often when i do podcast interviews it's very much about like the work itself and the, the orgasm questions and the pleasure and the sexuality and the intimacy and that's all really fun but like i haven't actually done an interview where we're talking about like the industry and the business side of things. So I find that really interesting to talk about. 
Yeah. 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 And I, I, I like that you're on this podcast because often in your posts, you have these really impassioned rants where it's like, this is fucked and here's why. <laughs> and I really want to open that up. Like this mm. is, this is a space where you can make those, those claims and people mm. are genuinely interested to hear it and, mm. and can learn from it. Mm-mm. Yeah. So if you want to have a rant, that the, the floor is yours oh. now or throughout the rest of the podcast uh-huh, as well. Uh-huh. Have a rant about something particular or? Oh, whatever comes up for you. Mm. That you've got the rant card. Yeah, okay. I'll hold it with me. Cool, yeah. cool. Well, one thing I'm I'm really, um, I'm finding interesting. So I, I ran Bloom Festival, um, which was beautiful like we had 200 people like 25 facilitators we had a full emotional support crew it was catered it was in the forest it was a beautiful event and I definitely like it was a challenge psychologically um big financial risk um and uh it was just just like psychologically it it was a lift for me It, it was further than I'd gone before in this context and super grateful that I did it. But after that, what I've realized is firstly, I have the capacity to make a really epic thing. But secondly, I want to be really careful about what I choose. Mm. And I'm, and I'm sitting with the choice around what's next. What am I going to run a program? Am I going to run a webinar? What topic is it going to be on? I'm exploring the the, the decision-making around what to create. And I see in the industry this often there's this question around like um what and and this is something that you've talked about a lot as well it's like what does the market need and want versus what are you inspired to create Mm. you know for you we had lots of conversations where it's like okay i know i can sell sex stuff but self-love and 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 pleasure beyond the bedroom is is where the good stuff is Mm. um and 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 it opens up this question around how do we stay inspired about our work? It needs to be relevant to us. Right. And and as we move along that spectrum from beginner to advanced in our own practice, the audience that appreciates the things that are relevant to us can actually shrink. Mm. And so there's this temptation to stay with the generic or the general or the the mainstream as we're moving further away. So I'm curious on your thoughts on that. Like, how do you pick what you're going to offer? How do you reconcile that tension? Yeah, I mean, I have, I do get sick of talking about certain topics and I have definitely like at times boxed myself into a corner with my marketing thinking that I need to do it in a certain way or I need to just talk about these things because that's what people say they want, like, I'm going to talk about not being able to orgasm. I'm going to talk about libido problems. I'm going to talk about, um, you know, just feeling numb internally or whatever Um, and uh, not then kind of expanding that to talk about the stuff that I'm truly passionate about. But then I also have like sometimes limited my audience or, or thought that, okay, this is what I've decided they want to hear about instead of, you know, trusting that people will engage on the level that they're comfortable with or finding new ways to talk about the simpler stuff. You know, like I can kind of get to a point where I'm like, 
I don't want to talk about that topic anymore. And it's like, okay, but I could actually, if I'm a little bit creative, find 50 other ways to talk about that same thing, which might be a really beginner concept or what I perceive as a beginner concept or a, or, you know, something that's um, for people who are just beginning on the journey with pleasure and sexuality. And there are ways that I can talk about it that would be fun and exciting for me and that would help me to feel passionate. And that's something that I need to remind myself of because I can really easily be like, I don't want to talk about that again. (laughs) And especially now with all of the different formats we can use with video and, and written content and emails and you know, bringing story into things and using, Mm. you know, using, I mean, all of the new features with the songs and dance on Instagram. Like there's a lot of ways we can talk about things that are more fun and creative. And I think it is important for me at least to, um, to speak to where people are at, to speak to where my audience is at. And what I know with a lot of my audience is that they, they are at a point where they may be feeling like that maybe they haven't done a lot of embodiment work. They haven't really explored sexuality that much they're wanting to go deeper, they're not sure where to start, you know? So it is important that I meet them there and I speak to that and that I find ways to speak to that that feel, you know, okay for me, (laughs) that I feel comfortable with. And then probably intersperse that with more of the stuff that I feel like way more excited about or or begin speaking to people um, about this particular challenge they're experiencing and then expand that into like, something else you know that goes beyond that to to another area that I'm excited about um but yeah it it absolutely has been a challenge to find a balance with that and um that's part of the reason I let go of Yona Club is that it didn't feel as current for me and I needed to create something else that felt more holistic uh more embodied more uh, expanded and Uh, And then the good thing with that is that the new program, because it encompasses, you know, the body confidence, the body image stuff, the deeper self-care stuff, the intimate relating. Now, as I move towards promoting that, I feel like I have like so many other areas I can talk about rather Mm -hmm. than just like the genital stuff and the internal work, you know. So that that feels a lot more exciting. And I I don't know how it'll go, but I hope that as I step into mm. the, you know, deeper marketing promotion side of things soon that uh, I'll be able to feel more inspired. Cool. Yeah, I'm hearing you you create the bridges and you find the overlap between what you're inspired by and what your audience is curious about. And yeah. and the, the thing that I like about what you're running, there's such a broad program is that there's lots of little entry points. Like traditionally, when you create a lead magnet, as we've talked about a million times, it's like, what's the problem they have right now? Mm. And how do we make it specific and relevant to them and then bring them into the deeper body of work? And because your prob- your product touches on so many different topics, we can like, well, what are those specific problems in each of those topics? Mm. Like there can be a lot of um, really inspiring entry points mm. that help reveal the deeper journey. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm. What do you think about Facebook, Bunny? What do you think about your Facebook feed? My Facebook feed? <laughs> yeah. Like what I'm seeing other people post or what I'm posting? What you're seeing other people post. Ah, well, I'm I'm not really on Facebook much these days. You know, okay. like I haven't, 
I used to use it a lot and I used to share a lot on there related to my business. And I think a lot of my initial business success was all through Facebook. Now I'm a little more on Instagram, but I honestly haven't been posting on socials for most of the last year. Like I need, I'm actually right. needing to just dip back into it now and to just be like, okay, I'm actually, I have something to offer again. I've been through some burnout. I've had some recovery time. I've been creating a new thing. Now I need to get back into the social sphere and um, yeah, actually start being active again. So I, I've only just been like dipping in a little and just kind of seeing some things. But I feel like, I don't know, like Instagram feels more interesting to me at the moment. Um, mm -hmm. I feel I, I can follow a much more diverse range of people there and, and really easily be exposed to different ideas and concepts in a way that feels, I don't know, just simpler for me than Facebook. Mm. But I do still really value like what some people share on Facebook. I really enjoy your posts. I love when people... Because Facebook's a lot of it mostly writing still. And I love writing and I love like expressing myself through my words. And I think that's been a big part of my business. A lot of it has just been writing and I still have a soft spot for that. And I still want to stay connected to that. And I really enjoy reading people's words on Facebook, but um, yeah, I feel a little bit out of the loop and, and I feel like a lot of it's just getting old or repetitive or, hmm. you know, yeah. 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 I, yeah, I, I, I scroll through Facebook and every, there's so much derivative content. Mm. It's just like, this is a copy of this is a copy of this is a copy of this. And it's, and it's understandable because to make, to cut through the noise in that platform, you have to create a huge amount of content. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's kind of similar on Instagram, but because there's, and I'm curious why you prefer Instagram. Is it because it's a more aesthetic, more visual, more photos and videos? That's why it's more accessible to you? Or what is it about Instagram that, that appeals to you? I don't know. I guess I just follow different people on there who create daily right. content. And I, I particularly engage with other people's stories. Like it feels like it feels really personal. Like you're part of their life yeah. and you're seeing things in their life or they're, they're unraveling ideas moment by moment and unpacking things throughout the day. Whereas Facebook's a bit more like this thing, download, gone, you know? Yeah. Um, but Facebook is nice for discussions. Like I do find, I mean, especially lately with some of the more controversial stuff that's been unfolding, it's been quite interesting to someone to post something and then there's like hundreds of people in the comments unpacking things and sharing their perspective. And obviously some of that gets really annoying, but some of it's also super interesting. And, you know, to, to see all these other people I know coming in and having a group discussion about something, you don't see that on Instagram. That happens more on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> it it kind of seems like Facebook is becoming Twitter mm. is what I'm observing because the deep long posts I'm seeing are getting less engagement mm. or at least on my feed, the deep long posts in my feed. And also I'm just not as willing to read long form posts anymore because I've read so much trash. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But then I see the, the like 30 word with the colored background kind of oh, post. Yeah. And these seem to be these like engagement, short engagement posts seem to be getting way, way more traction. Mm -hmm. And the game seems to be, how can you speak your truth in as few words as possible 
and generate as much debate and create a real controversial thing that people blow up on. And, and the reasoning behind it seems to be, well, if everyone comments on my engagement post, the algorithm is going to favor me. And then when I sell things, people are actually going to see my sales posts. Mm. You know, I think that's, that's the pessimistic way of looking at it. Maybe the optimistic way of looking at it is, well, we want to generate conversations on topics that are meaningful and we want to promote healthy debate. But like, realistically, I doubt the vast majority of people who are doing that. Like I, I see people writing posts and I read them and I can see this is going to con generate controversy and debate. But I don't know if you actually believe this. I think mm -hmm. you're just trying to generate engagement. Mm -hmm. And it's a really interesting thing to observe. And now I'm starting to write these little posts. I'm writing like short, punchy comments that I do believe but I'm trying to push the edges because I'm very diplomatic in my approach on socials. I tend to try and provide a really well-rounded view. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's like, I want to start starting fires right? just, and just to see what space, will happen. Right. There's not the space for nuance anymore because like you said, people aren't going to read the longer posts. So you can't really just unpack it from 12 different angles. You know, you have to just mm. be like this thing, which I don't completely believe, but like just throwing it out there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Which is, which is what Twitter is. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and I don't think our community is so deep on Twitter, but mm. the people who are deep on Twitter, they just see it as a cesspool of like mm. low quality dialogue. So I'm, I'm, I, I can kind of see the Facebook, the downward spiral of Facebook. Um, yeah. I'm curious, like, what, do you have an idea about which platforms you want to be engaging on and how you want to be engaging and what your philosophy around that is? Or, I mean, look, I really struggle with my relationship to social media and generally I have like I can have quite an addictive personality with those things. And it's very easy for me to scroll a lot. And I've really had to, implement strong boundaries around it at certain points and you know sometimes I've found like especially throughout the lockdowns or when there was a lot less happening you know it was really nice to feel connected to a community on Facebook or whatever and then there are times when I'm just like actually this is not a helpful conversation to be having or I'm responding to this mm -hmm. thing but I'm feeling grumpy about some other shit going on in my life today. <laughs> and I'm mm. projecting that onto this poor person's post or whatever the thing is, you know, whatever the discussion is. And because we don't have that natural co-regulation of being in a room with people mm. and having a real discussion. So I think it is really sad what, what some of it has become. And people are saying things to each other that they would never say in person Yet at the same time, there are really valuable conversations being had and valuable topics being raised. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to the industry that I'm in and, and promoting and marketing and sharing things, like I miss the long form content. I used to love writing mm -hmm. long form content. I want to go back to writing more of it. And I'm interested to see how it lands now because it used to land quite well, but I think people have shorter and shorter attention spans. Mm. And now with the rise of TikTok and Instagram kind of becoming more and more like TikTok, you mm. know, the videos need to be super short. I was following this Instagram expert guy who's like, when you film a video, like a, a reel for Instagram, uh, you should change, you should 
there should be a cut every two seconds. So you go like, hi, people, blah, blah, blah. And then you cut and then you go from another angle and keep talking and, you know, every two seconds to keep people's attention and you try to keep Mm -hmm. it as short as possible. And that, you know, feels really sad in a way. It's like, oh, we can't just watch like a 30 second video of someone saying a few sentences. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. you've got to cut it every two seconds for it to be. And then it's, it's kind of like how, um, you know, when we were younger, like movies and TV and everything, like everything used to be slower, you know, like they would mm. take more time to unpack things. There'll be more character development. Now it's just like action, 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 like everything's mm. so intense. And I, yeah, I feel sad about that. And I, I, it is hard to unpack these deeper topics, especially stuff around mm. embodiment and sexuality and pleasure and you know, things that aren't just presenting some bullshit goal or some stupid quick fix. This is where you see the rise of like Instagram therapy. You know, mm. there's there's people following trauma specialists and um, somatic therapists and, and people with um, all of these different embodiment and therapy backgrounds. But then there's also a whole bunch of coaches pretending to be therapists. And mm-hmm. then there's all these mm-hmm. people posting this like, life advice but some of it's really bad advice or some Mm -hmm. of it's good advice within a certain context and then you see people who are potentially needing actual therapy but avoiding therapy and just scrolling on instagram and collecting little squares of tiny snippets of random bits of advice but not actually bringing any of it into their their body or their daily life or their relating or whatever it is that they're needing support with so I think it is, you know, dangerous in that way and, and really sad because people are then, it's like the dopamine thing, right? So people are then fueled by that and they're like, well, this is, I, I read a helpful thing about relationships. Now I feel like I've had this insight, but they haven't actually had the insight. They've yeah. just received a little snippet of information. And I think we do need much more just coming back to and this is the essence of embodiment, right? Being with what is and coming back to what's present and being with ourselves in these really simple ways. And that can seem boring or unsexy or not, you know, not giving you the same kind of dopamine hits as the constant information of different things or the idea that you're learning something more advanced, like that the embodiment stuff, like the essentials, the foundations, the stuff that I keep returning to, it's like, move your body, feel what's happening, (laughs) like touch your body, notice what's going on there. And that can feel like it's not advanced enough for a lot of people. It can feel like, oh, well, this is beginner shit. And it's like, yeah, it's beginner shit that I've been doing forever. That's that's a dismissal because there it's an avoidance of the discomfort. Exactly. of actually being in your experience. It's exactly. like, oh, this is uncomfortable. It must not work. I need something right. easier. Right. Or it needs to be more complicated. You know, like this mm. thing sounds too easy. It can't just be like, you know, like Michaela Bond's nonlinear movement. It's like literally get on your hands and knees and move your body and feel what's happening, you know? Yeah. And there's a lot of people going, well, that seems too easy. Like I got to find some really complicated answer, you know, I've got to read seven books to work out how to connect with my body. And, and I think that enables people to actually stay out of their body exactly because they're caught up in the world of ideas and they don't, because when you drop into your body, your body, if, if you have a dissociation pattern, your body will just throw you out again, mm. right? If you go in too quick and it's like, 
oh, this is uncomfortable. There's emotion here. I've learned not to feel it. What excuse can my mind give to not feel mm. when the truth is actually just, yeah, be with that, right. be with that discomfort. Don't look for another solution. Yeah. That in that discomfort lies the resolution. Mm. And that's yeah. hard to promote in the embodiment field through programs and products and classes and things. It's hard to really share that yeah. because people are looking for a quicker fix or something that's more neatly packaged or something that involves more certainty or, you know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think the pathway for content creators who see this like toxic online environment is, is to draw people out of the platforms, mm. like, like create and, and discord and, and podcasts are really good opportunities. Mm -hmm. So discord is, is um, it's a social meet, I guess you could call it a social media platform that has a big following in the gamer community. And it's kind of like Slack where, you've got a channel and the con the content creator is putting all the content in that channel and you can chat on the content. And then you've got multiple channels and you choose which providers, but each provider has their own channel and you're choosing which channel to go into. It's not like you have a wall of random stuff that's mm. got filtered advertising into it and is mm. um, designed with a an algorithm to get you hooked. Mm. So that's a good channel to, to, to bring people into who just want the pure, unadulterated, short and long form without all the bullshit in between. So I'm and to have curious, yes, to engage and have dialogue. And then the other one is podcasts where you mm. get that long form, that opportunity to expand a conversation. And so I think, I think the pathway forward is, is embracing the platforms like Facebook and Instagram and TikTok, creating content that gets engagement um, that, that just redirects people, you know, you're, you're giving them little tastes and you're inspiring them to go further on the journey. Right. Right. And, and yeah, go ahead. F for me, part of that is also like getting people onto my email list, not yes. as a way to just promote to them, but like, I've loved writing emails and it is a bit longer form and you, you own that as well. You know, as a, as an entrepreneur, you own your email list as a sexuality, entrepreneur on Instagram, your account can be deleted overnight and you may yeah. never get it back, you know, and this is the same with Facebook. And this is what makes advertising tricky. Sometimes like you can lose that very easily, but your email list you can keep. And if you're good at writing emails, if you're a good writer, if you're good at engaging and sharing and offering, you know, great content in your emails, then that email isn't dead. You know, I think there's a lot to be said for it, but yeah, yeah. it's also absolutely time for me to make a podcast. I'm it's like now is the time. Yeah. I've been wanting to do it for ages and it's like, okay, as soon as I've launched this new thing, which is, you know, within the next month, I'm like podcast time, it's happening. Yes, yeah. for sure, for sure. Beautiful. Just having a look at my little list of things to talk about. I guess I would, I would just um, ask you like, if someone is coming into this industry, they're passionate about sexuality and embodiment. And uh, if you were to give them one message as a practitioner, what would it be? A practitioner, like someone starting a business who already has some training or? 
yeah, let, let's say they've got training and they've got a small client base and they're growing their business. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's small sustainable steps is really the key. Like we are taught that you 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 know you pay some business coach like an insane amount of money and they're going to change everything for you and it's going to instantly transform like it's there are so many moving pieces and you know we have done a lot of that back end work together it's like finicky like complicated many layers and it does just need like patience and consistently uh, consistency and just you know going slowly and being compassionate with yourself you know and staying connected to your practice and the reasons why you're doing it in the first place. I think that's really something that people can feel um, that, because that definitely happened for me. There were times when I really disconnected from my practice or from the essence of it and just focused on the marketing and um, periods where I would kind of look back and be like, well, I kind of lost myself a bit there, <laughs> you know, I kind of got a bit too into that tech world or too obsessed with that project and didn't really take care of myself. And I think that is, yeah, that's the foundation and then just like small consistent action and not, not expanding too much. You know, we, we mm -hmm. see people being like, I need a podcast and a YouTube channel and I've got to email people five times a week and then Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. And <laughs> it's just like too many things like pick, a couple of things like maybe you want to do Instagram and have an email list maybe maybe you want to have a podcast and a Facebook account like just you know keep it simple to start with and build that consistently and then branch out when you have more capacity I totally agree with that that's such good advice this is our long game it's not a yeah. short game it's a long game right and and people think they're going to win by putting in it's like, I'm going to go quicker than everyone else. And I'm going to do more than everyone else right now. And I'm going to achieve all the targets within a year. And I'm going to go from 0K to 100K in a year or 50K to 250K in a year. They're looking at this like three-month or 12-month timeline. And underneath that, there's often actually a scarcity and a fear that's driving that. It's like, if I don't get it done right away, like this is what I need to do to survive. If I don't do this, I'm not going to survive. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a panicky, uh, it's like there's a hidden panic underneath uh, entrepreneurial bravado mm -hmm. and it's depleting and it's tiring and it, and it causes us to overestimate or, or commit to things that are beyond our capacity. Mm -hmm. and, and if you settle in for the 10-year game, it's mm. like you got 10 years, give it, give it some time. Mm. <laughs> you set up these sustainable practices. Like mm. there are so many people who work at 110% for six months and burn out. Mm -hmm. Whereas the person who works at 70% for three years, mm -hmm. after three to five years, they're crushing it. They're nailing it and they're happy. Mm. They're like genuinely happy. So yeah, slow down like have realistic targets, um, mm. focus on one thing at a time. I think that's, and, yeah. and if you can't, if it's like, oh, I can't focus on one thing at a time, I have to do everything. Mm. Then you haven't set yourself up for sustainable success. Yeah. yeah. You know, if it means you have to get a part-time income source for a while to give you a timeline, then do that, do what you mm. need to do to be able to relax. It's not a sprint. Mm. I think that's mm. 
primo advice. Yeah. And I mean, you have been with me through this. Like I have been through burnout twice with my business. And part of it was because we grew too fast. Part of it was yeah. that when the pandemic hit, like my business exploded and suddenly out of nowhere, you know, I was doing like $100,000 launches, $200,000 launches. And I didn't know how to deal with that much money, that many people, that 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 many systems you know all of these other people who were on my team like it was really confronting and that was a you know that that explosion I mean it was like the right time right place right background you know I was very lucky to have that but it also I couldn't sustain it it did lead to burnout and you know I mean, I don't think I would talk about it in terms of having lost money in my business because ultimately I haven't, but but I yeah. have, um, you know, had long periods of not being able to work much or be, only having capacity to do a little bit and, um, and, and losing potential income from that, you know, from just going yeah. too hard too fast and then burning out and then getting stuck and then needing to start again. And, you know, so I, yeah, if I would be doing it all again, I would be going much slower. And I, that's what I'm doing now. Like as I ease back into, mm. you know, my next big project, I'm like creating it at a pace that feels comfortable for me. I'm taking space and time off. I'm trying to stay connected to my practice and, you know, enjoy my relationship and other things and, and yeah, not burn out again because it sucks. Mm. And it can take a long time to recover. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like I want to, I want to just balance that out by saying there are some people who have, who have boatloads of energy mm-hmm. and they're like, I'm ready, let's do this. Mm-hmm. And to you, I say like, go for it, Fully. but just yeah. keep, keep tracking your inspiration. Mm-hmm. And if it yeah. starts to teeter into, oh, I've, I'm actually overcommitted, then listen to it early. And if, and if your energy is endless and it keeps going, great, rock mm-hmm. out, explode, totally. go for yeah. it, yeah. but just stay attuned because mm. the more in the game you are, that the more challenging it can be to be attuned to yourself. Definitely. Yeah. There were times I had so much more energy and then there were times when I had a lot less and yeah, being attuned to yeah. it is important. Mm. Well, thank you, Bonnie. Thank you for your wisdom. I think so many people are going to get value from this. So appreciate you. Thank you. Thanks Um, for having me. This was a really fun conversation. And we've had so many conversations about business just like on our own private calls, you know, so it's fun to to chat about it and know that other people are going to listen to our random conversation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And and if, if someone wants to work with you, if they're curious about what you do, how can they find you? What, like, would, do you want people to reach out to you? What can that look like? Yeah. I mean, always happy for people to reach out and start conversations in my DMS on Facebook or Instagram. I'm not great at always replying straight away, but I do eventually reply. Um, I'm at bonniebliss.co on Instagram and that's my website as well. Bonniebliss.co. Beautiful. Do you have any last messages for the audience or does that feel complete? Feels complete. Yeah. I really enjoyed this chat. Awesome. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So I'll stop recording. Mm -hmm. There we go.